Well, it's a new face up here, and Jeff is not here to, to do some of the introductions that would probably be most appropriate, so I get to do them myself. <laughs> My family moved here just a couple of months ago, and we've been getting to know a number of you during this time, and I told Jeff that, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I have allergies, and I had a cold last week. And so there should be some sort of a thing, like every time I clear my throat, everyone claps, you know. Like, <laughs> I can be more aware of what's happening. But uh, anyway, that sound will happen on several times. I, I don't have a microphone. I can go, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so uh, you'll suffer. But uh, anyway, we arrived after driving 2,000 miles in a 26-foot U-Haul trailer, nearly running into some bridges going through New York City. And uh, in Boston, uh, on the 8th of August, uh, several of you were there to unload a big van. And we've been figuring out the language here, how to stay Worcester and Waltham and uh, things like that so that people don't stare at us too much. And... Uh, Actually, stared us a lot less here than the last place we lived. So uh, we lived in Indonesia for ten years, and we were definitely a minority and unusual. There's a lot of stories that I can tell, uh, and there's a lot that I'd like to present and kind of connecting with you today. But what I'm going to do is just a slice of that. See, if, as the decades go by, it takes longer and longer to tell your story. <laughs> And we'd be here a long time if I told my story. So the good news is, we're here, and we're going to have a long time to tell our story. We're going to have months, years, not just today. And so we will invite some of you over for uh, fresh chocolate chip pecan cookies around the fireplace, and we'll tell stories. We'll say, uh, you know, these are some of the things that have happened in our life, and uh, and this is what... What we see, these are some of our dreams. I, I thought about opening up this time by showing some pictures. I've got a picture of uh, me and Jeff when Jeff's 22. And uh, uh, he had brown hair. <laughs> and uh, he's had a lot of energy, a lot of zeal. That hadn't changed too much. got pictures of Laura... Richmond, when she was dating someone else besides Sean, she was 18 years old. That would be entertaining to some of you. Uh, so, anyway, we can show you some pictures over time. But there's a, some family information. This is, again, I feel a little bit odd. I, I feel so much at home, and yet I know that there are people that are trying to, to figure this out. You know, who is this guy? What's the deal here? And um, uh, so I'm just going to be myself, and uh, we're just going to act like family this morning, all right? Because I certainly feel that way. And so there's an important announcement that needs to be made. Eric Macarello and Robin Crucellus have something to share with us. Why don't you all stand up?
Yeah. Well, that's the important information. Um, Jeff's been in a series over the last five weeks. It's entitled, We Are. And in that, one of the goals is connecting people that are new especially, but all of us, to um, some tribal identity, some values, some things that are in our heart that allow you to, to say, yeah, this is who I am. This is, I'm a part of this we. And today, um, I'm going to get to share a few things of the we that relates to, oh, I haven't even said my name yet, I don't think, ever. I'm Gern Blanstein. <laughs> oh, um, Mark Buckner and uh, my daughter Grace here. We have four children. We have three in college, so we're at the bottom of our disposable income over the course of our life. <laughs> Anybody else relate to that out there? Anybody? Okay. Not many. And uh, <clears throat> my wife Susan is a pediatrician, and she is with the, the babies this morning. So she that's... Not because any of them are sick. She's because she loves being with them. She's in. She's a part of child care. So we have a pediatrician in the child care department just babysitting this morning. That's the level of quality that we take here at Community of Faith. We're committed. So uh, I, um, I have two ways of starting out. Today that I thought of, one was to, to say, I'm going to tell you my story. This is a story of there and back again. But it, it moved into a trilogy and uh, just way too much information. So I backed off of that. And uh, then I thought, I'd say, and I really believe this, this is the first day of World Mandate. Because what I'm sharing with you is, is a heart to what came about in, in that meeting back 25 years ago. And uh, that's a part of the story that I'm going to roll out. So here's the big picture. You know, my sh- story I'm sharing with you, the church is bigger than I ever imagined it is. The second part is God has a heart for the entire planet, the entire world. And then the last part is we get to be a part of this deal. It's not for somebody somewhere else. You get to do the cool stuff. You're involved in this. So the church is much bigger than I ever imagined it was. I am son and grandson of the Southern Baptist ministers. I was in church before I was uh, a thought in my daddy's you know, brain. And uh, I did a lot of church growing up. I, I did my share of church, for sure. And But... A lot of it didn't stick. I had a a Teflon coating that I developed from a lot of people around me that said, there's this information, there's this historic stuff, but it's not a relationship. And it wasn't until I got into college that I started asking a lot of questions. I knew all the answers, but I hadn't really asked the questions. I've just been fed information. I knew, you know... If you're in Sunday school and you don't know the answer, you know, they say there's this brown thing with a fuzzy tail and it climbs trees and eats nuts and you don't know what they're talking about, you just say, it was Jesus, you know. (laughs) So uh, the answer is always Jesus in Sunday school. So I had that figured out. 
And, uh, but I didn't know him in a personal way. Went to college, and a lot of things shifted around for me. I, uh, uh, I really, I'm a thinker, I'm very analytical, I process a lot of stuff, I do ask a lot of questions. So don't get nervous if I start asking you questions. One-on-one, I ask a lot of questions because I want to know who you are. I want to understand things a little bit deeper. And that's what I was doing in college. And I, I, uh, it, that, that question asking led me into a very difficult place where I started throwing a lot of things overboard. And the package that I had of what the church was, I started deconstructing. And it happened because my world got bigger. And so the little world that I had that was pretty monocultural started shaking. And then I started reading the Bible. And my experience that I'd had my entire life was very unlike what I read in the book of Acts. I kept saying, where's this stuff happening? This is not a part of my Sunday morning deal. This is not the thing that I went to at revivals. We didn't see any of this stuff happen. And this led me through an extensive season. Every one of these little steps, I'm very tempted to to move into for a longer period of time but uh, because there's a lot of stories there. But I just say at the end of a season, I came to a place where I experienced what uh, I believe in the scriptures in the second chapter of Acts says, uh, a filling of the Holy Spirit. For the first time in my life, after a lot of repentance and turning over things, I was filled back up in a powerful way. I did not know what was happening to me. No one had explained this to me before. I was at a Baptist leadership event at a, at a camp, and they were not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But in that context, I just I had a very dynamic experience, kind of plugged into the electric socket, vibrating, praying till 3 in the morning. And the next morning I showed up at church, walking up the steps, and someone looked at me and said, What happened to you? And I said, I don't know, but it was good. And I dug even deeper and deeper into the word. And I began saying, the church is huge. I, I, it's, it's not just about one, my one little denomination. It's not just about one, my one culture. And as those things began to fall away, I, I also began to learn about a lot of new subjects that I'd never dove, dove into before. And so I was a banshee of hungry desire for God's word and his truth. I was going to every conference I could imagine. You know, if someone says, the, you know, the prophet of God is going to be 100 miles over there. Man, I was in my car. I was going to drive over to hear the Lord. I wanted to be in the middle of whatever it was. But after about three years of having a lot of different experiences and learning and, and going through all that process, I came to a, a place in my life. And this happens in each one of our lives. You hit a window where there's a pause. And you can say, something's wrong with me. What's going on? You, and at those plateaus in our lives, well, you do need to ask, what's going on? Because normally, that's where God is doing a significant turning point in your life. And at that pause in my life, I started asking, Lord, what is this? You know, I, I thought I was supposed to... I've been going through all these phases of learning and growth and developing all these different tools of knowledge and understanding of, you know, the power of your spirit and about understanding holiness and character, the fruit of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, understanding uh, really uh, in leadership and how that works in evangelism and discipleship. And he said, I'm not going to bring you 
more truth. I want you to learn how to take the truth that you have to new territory. And we're all like trees. Do you know that? There's a certain amount of truth within the, the, the body of Scripture. And our lives, as you're following Jesus, kind of loop around that same pathway. And you become rings of maturity that grow along the same patterns of truth. And those rings are connected to you investing in others. You grow as you learn how to raise children. You grow as you learn how to invest and give what you have to somebody else. And so I had been leading... uh, Actually, by that time, I was over a college ministry of about 300 people. And so uh, all this craziness and this energy in my life, a bunch of people had been gathered together. But I did not have a clue what it meant to be bringing the gospel to other nations. So I'm going to take you through a few scriptures really quickly. First thing is this is the end. This is what's finally going to be happening in eternity in Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. Got it up here? So they, who are they? <clears throat> who are calling out all of the people that were around the throne of God. The myriads were singing a song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were slain and with your blood to purchase men for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. I lived in Indonesia for 10 years, and it's, a, it's a, um, uh, about 15,000 islands and, and hundreds and even thousands of different tribal groups. And as wherever we live, we learn to identify people by their tribal groups. They, they have names in each one of the different areas. And because they were on each one of these different islands for years before there was modern transportation, they all developed a different way of saying Hello, goodbye, the different, different methods of marrying and bearing unique cultures in each one of these places. And God is going to bring every one of those unique and diverse pieces together in eternity. So that's where we're going. We're going to go back to the very beginning in Genesis. What happened? Genesis 3, God created this perfect place and man broke relationship with God. Not because... God said, don't touch the chair, and he kept going, but I want to touch the chair. No, if you touch the chair, I'm going to give you the big whammy. No, just let me touch the chair. You did a bad thing. You touched the chair. God did not break, there was not broken relationship because man did the one little rule that God set up. Relationship was broken because man chose to get his needs met apart from God. And that's, isn't that the, the dysfunction of our life now? Is we want to get our needs met outside of healthy relationship with God and with others. We think, I know how to get my needs met. I know how to put this together. And then it just is a train wreck. And we go around the mountain. And he brings us back again and says, if you'll submit it to me, I know where the Garden of Eden is for your life. I know how to bring you into great fruitfulness. Well... From that place of brokenness, God has always been about bringing his his heart and his compassion back into this planet. And in Genesis chapter 12, 
we see what he was doing with Abram. And what he did was not just try to bless someone. So we're here, and there's, there is a gospel that's preached that it's all about you being blessed. And that is only half of the story. The story is that he wants to bless you so that he can bless others. He wants he blessed Abraham to bless you that all the people of the earth would be blessed through you. And it's so interesting how we still have a hard time getting that. In fact, the first disciples did not understand this plan. The 12 disciples did not realize that Jesus wanted all the nations of the earth to be blessed. After he died, after he was raised, they still did not understand that it wasn't just about them. So in Acts chapter 11, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea, what happened is, is Peter had been to Caesarea and he preached at this, you know, this whole thing where the sheet came down out of heaven while he was praying, had all these animals in it. And he said, rise, kill and eat. And then the angel spoke to him and said, you're supposed to go up to this man's house. And he went and he went there. And uh, this man brought his whole family together, and they all got uh, received the word. And then, while Peter was speaking, the Holy Spirit was poured out on them, and they started speaking in tongues and prophesying. Well, it's just like the spontaneous thing while he was speaking, not directed by anyone but God Himself. So the apostles, another place, came back and said, "What did you do? What are you doing? What were you doing?" The believers of Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. So when Peter went to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, You went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? And then we get down into the last verse in this passage. And it says, So then. This is the apostles like scratching their heads. And they say, So then. Even to Gentiles. God has granted repentance that leads to life. We do this again and again and again. God works in our lives, in your life, in a handful of people. And you get to a certain point where it becomes all about protecting that territory. Just uh, consolidating your gains, getting more insurance into the package, making sure... You're risk-averse, that nothing dangerous happens, that everybody's okay. Not realizing everything that you've been given was to make you a vessel to be able to give to somebody else. He wants to turn you into a gift. He wants to turn you into a gift. So, what was happening to me back in uh, 8284... Oh, by the way, so I'm taking... Yeah, I'm 52, just in case you spend a lot of time doing math in your brain. Uh, but uh, early 80s, you know, I got this place where I got that word, take this to new territory. And I went to a meeting. I was actually forced, just cajoled, pushed, just regularly. This, this man 
It was a, a doctor that had relationships with some YWAM leaders, invited up a, a thing called the YWAM Night of Missions that happened all around the country after Keith Green died in a plane crash. And uh, uh, his Melody Green and a, a number of people were traveling around saying, uh, promoting missions. That was a kind of the, the gift, really, of his life at that season of his life. Anybody know that name, Keith Green? So, anyway, I went to one of those, these events, and the guy got up in front, and, and I thought, I have to go to the event. I'm the college pastor. It's embarrassing if I don't show up. And, but because I wasn't thrilled. I have to tell you, most of the missionaries that I had been around were not winning in the fashion show. They were like a little out of touch, not the sharpest tool in the drawer. They were, and I always thought like, you know, couldn't make it here, but let's, let's try someplace else. Let's send you over there. Maybe you can, maybe you'll do better over there. So I didn't have this like high esteemed impression of these people. And this guy, David Stoffelson, gets up in front of the, and he starts preaching and talking statistics like this. And I have to tell you, I had have salvation, profound moments in my life, coming to Jesus, submitting to him, this powerful experience with the Holy Spirit. And this was another profound moment in my life. I just have to say, God took a planet and put it in my heart. He put his heart for all peoples in me. And it changed me forever. So Dave was up in front of us and saying... Within 3,000 miles of Hong Kong, they're two-thirds of the world's population. 50% of them are below the age of 20. The majority of the world's Muslims, the majority of the world's Buddhists, the majority of the world's Hindus are there. The majority of languages that haven't been translated into the Bible. Where are we? We are the minority. We are a little blip. And that's where the world is. It's in Asia. And it just grabbed me. And I, I've said that statistic about four, five, six hundred times, maybe a thousand or more since then. Because it was burned into my heart. I could see it. And we're talking about the Pacific. This is early 80s. He's saying the world's going to shift from the Atlantic to the Pacific. I thought, man, if I'd have known, I should have invested way back then. <laughs> And he started talking about that there are more Spanish-speaking believers in the world now than there are English-speaking believers. There most likely are more followers, genuine followers of Jesus in China than there are in the United States. This thing has been turned completely upside down. The gospel came out of Jerusalem, went I, you know, this historic trek, Constantinople, and then over into Europe and England. There's all these different steps along the way. But it's exploded. There are more than 20,000 people a day coming to Jesus on the continent of Africa. There, the world is, the, the kingdom of God is moving in awesome ways in other parts of the world. And we need to sit at their feet and be discipled. The mission trips that we're taking are not about us going and changing people's lives as much as us going and getting our lives changed. Us submitting and breaking out of a small view of the church, of, a, of this perspective of all that God is doing in the world and getting a hold of that. Now, when all that stuff started happening, and I, you know, I started traveling out of the country and... 
El Salvador was in the middle of civil war, so yes, that's where I went. And uh, uh, my uncle, who was in the army at that point in time, saying, "Mark, you you know you did, you need to talk to the State Department about some of these things," and said, "Nope." And uh, uh, so, just ignorant, stupid things we were doing, and uh, but having an awesome time and adventure in the middle of all of it. And then people, I started realizing, you know, we, we, we've got to, we want to train people in ministry. And, and I thought, well, I'm kind of doing this ministry thing. Maybe I should go to seminary. And I started asking people, you know, you're, you're going to seminary. What are you going to get there? And again and again and again, I'd say, what happened to you there? Now, you're going to have to stay with me through this whole story because I'm going to say some negative things right now. <laughs> but I will be nice toward the end. <laughs> Again and again, I had people telling me, wow, I was much, all the fire that I brought into seminary, I lost by the time I got through with it. I said, why'd you do it? Got to check that box, man. Got to have it for your resume for ministry. I went, and uh, no, I don't want to check that box. Don't want to dry up. You know, because knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. And if you fill yourself with knowledge, fill yourself with knowledge, fill yourself with knowledge. Right around November, you start getting depressed. (laughs) I've got to have a life. This has to integrate into who I am. You've got to get the spirit and the word together. Into your system. I've talked to someone recently. It's one of my favorite things to say. You know, it's not balance is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Everything that God has in His Word. Everything that He has by His Spirit. We're not like compromising. Don't want too much of that. Be careful. You don't look. Go for every bit of it. You know? Be careful. Don't want too much of that stuff. Jump on over. You'll swim. They'll be okay. So this training thing was over here. I'm going, wow, I don't know if I'm excited about that or not. Doesn't look like it's... And then also, here's the missions thing. Here's all the experts. So we had training, people that saying, this is the way to get become an expert in ministry. And then the missionaries and all these different organizations. And you had the local church. And the church, what we do is we have children, we have Sunday school, and we have services, and sometimes we eat together, and we go home. Cool. That's kind of boring. Uh, Can we do the fun stuff? And so people were not doing this. I have to tell you, people were not doing this in the early 80s. This was like, whoa, what are you talking about? I said, what if we intersect community and mission and leadership development and we get to live this thing out together? The place where you are changed most in your character is right where you are. With people that you don't like all the time. That didn't pick up their socks out of the living room. That's where your character is changed and developed. Because we're learning how to, we're, we're about learning how to live this life. We're trying to figure out how to be sons and daughters 
and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers first. Not about being artificial positions of function out here. We are learning relationship and character. So I said, I want to play too. And people said, all right, let me show you this. So I started connecting with YWAM leaders. And they said, this is how you do the mission trip. This is how you make all this work. Well, I can call travel agencies too. I can set up hotels just like you. (laughs) And I can make mistakes too. I can do all these things wrong too. And I, if I get to be making the mistakes, I get to grow. I get to learn. If people give me the sterilized, perfect little package, here you go, Sonny. Come on, do the little mission thing. You just sign right here and give me your money. Yeah. Oh, don't hurt yourself too much over there. You don't learn. We say, hey, you can do it. You know, make some... Dave, why don't you just take a bunch of people over there? How do I do it? I can figure it out, man. It's like... "Ah." Maturity happens. So I just went around to people saying, what if we do this? What if we do this? Right? You know, I'm crazy on napkins and mostly paper napkins, a few cloth napkins, writing, drawing, diagrams, out things, and saying, what if we do this? What if we do this? Finally... About 1985, I'm I, I pitching it out to this guy one more time and saying, we need to bring up development in church. We know all our students are raising money and paying their own way to work with youth with a mission or with this organization or with Young Life. I want some of those guys to raise money and stay with me. <laughs> and uh, a guy named Jimmy Seibert said, I'll do it with you. So his wife became my secretary. And he became the leader of the first training school. And we got eight people, and we asked people in church to give them free room board because it wasn't about getting them more in debt. And we wanted the people that were developing to be connected to families, to not be off in a little place. Let's stick them over there for three months or a year. We want them integrated in the life of the church. And as they did, they had problems, and the families got mad at them, and they got mad at the families, and they all came to us and said, what did you do this to us for? (laughs) And we grew. Community is hard work. But we learned, and we grew, and it changed us, and we matured. Then a couple years after that, I said, I want us to find our tribe. What if we look around for other people that are like us in our region that are, have a heart for university ministry and a heart for missions? Reaching and training young leaders. Now, it's not just students. Definitely. I'm... I, oh, at the end of the story on seminary. I'm in seminary right now. Why? I got into my 40s and I said... I need to be sharpened by the larger body of Christ. I've been a little isolated. I need to be connecting. So I'm in class with Salvation of Army folks, Presbyterians, Pentecostals, every different slice and flavor. And uh, so it's good. I'm on the 10-year track. (laughs) Got three more classes to go. But at that point in time, I went around looking for people that would kindred spirits. 
And a guy named Steve Fry came up to me and and Floyd McClung, and they said, Hey, Mark, we want to come and and do something with with you and and your campus. And I said, Great. So I got two speakers, a worship leader speaker. They both were speakers. And uh, I went around and connected with, made, started making phone calls and putting all this thing together. And we had like about 100 people show up. It's this retreat center for a weekend. And it was crazy powerful. Because what we believed was Acts 13 was going to be happening. Anybody familiar with that passage? It's a unique thing that happened in Antioch. Different racial groups were there. Different gifted ministries were there. There were prophets and teachers, not just evangelists, not just pastors. Now, we know there were apostles there because they started the work. So there were apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. A full mix of gifted ministers were here. And there were people from a lot of different places. It was a strange mix that had happened. You know, they were first called Christians at Antioch. And they were doing what? They were giving themselves to Jesus. The very first thing that I did before I got any of this other plan, any information, I was just giving myself to Jesus. I want you. And then he filled me with his power. I was not looking for power. I was looking for him. But he was looking for someone that he could gift to turn them into a gift to others. So they were together, and in that place, worshiping the Lord, ministering prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit spoke. So this weekend, we want to minister to the Lord, bringing together the tribe. And I'm, I'm working this week. I've connected with each one of the churches, the lead pastors, and I said, I want to meet with people that you feel are, are prophetically gifted. And we're going to meet and pray, and we're saying, Jesus, speak profoundly to everyone that comes. We want them to hear your voice. We want a dynamic in the middle of our lives. And this this thing that's happening, not because we have this, we've we've moved beyond the disjointed, okay, you've got to move to California to get training. Or you've got to move to North Carolina to be a part of this organization. No, no, the specializations, we are continuing to learn to all those things. Especially, again, for people that have experience in life. But you can grow and experience and get to the next place of who God has called you to be and what he's called you to do through this network of of relationships. So, that brings us up to about 1988. And... uh, We spent about 12 years starting two other campus ministries. Then we moved to Indonesia. We're there, raised our children in Indonesia. And then a couple of years ago, uh, you know, we've seen some crazy stuff happen. I've worked with people who have seen the dead raised. I've worked with people who have seen the blind see. And, uh, you know, there are demons in Asia. I just wanted to tell you that. And uh, some of them left people and went away, and they were free in the name of Jesus. But a couple of years ago, I came to a place where uh, I felt like it was, it was one of those pause moments, and I did not know what was happening. Now, 
those pause moments, these windows in our life, are not always pleasant. A number of years ago, in the late 80s, I was speaking with another leader who uh, said, you know you're in a place of transition when the grace lifts. It's like it was all working, and now it's just not working anymore. Some of the pieces are not fitting. And it's like, "Mm, what is happening? Keep trying to work it, keep trying to work it. Now, there's, there, we have to persevere through difficult times. We have to work through hard times, majority of our lives. But through counsel and wisdom, we're like, God is doing something new. And that started happening to me a couple of years ago. And it was very unpleasant. This has been two of the harder years of my life. And it uh, ended up us saying goodbye to people that we loved and and uh, with national partners that just, uh, I, I can't even get into, you know, the, the emotional tearing that we felt and that they expressed as we began to say, we feel like we're, God's bringing us to a new thing. So a lot of what we've been feeling of this time has not been, yippee! It's been, this is what God is telling us in a very sober way. But we're kind of, getting to the other side of the bridge now, and we're here. Jeff and Sarah, during the season, were listening and talking to us and said, come to Boston, work with us. And I actually spoke here in this place 11 years ago. And again, I've known your leaders and their leaders and their leaders for 30 years. And we've come back to tie into what's happening here, to call mothers and fathers in the Lord to rise up, to bring up the next generation. We feel like grandparents. John looks at me every time I'm around kids. I mean, I just, my, you know, anybody that's had your kids grow up and go out, you just like have a hole in your heart. You love children, and that's where we're at right now. I just, oh, okay, oh, I just want to hold your children. <laughs> This granddad thing is growing in me. (laughs) But we say, we want you to rise up, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, I've noticed that a number of you are obeying that. (laughs) But we're talking also about the Spirit. So I want you to stand up with me right now. Different ones who have ministered. If you'll come down to the front. If you've had a small vision of the church and you want God to put something earth size, something planet size in your heart, I want you to open it up, to open your heart up today. Ask Jesus, give me a bigger vision for your purposes. If you feel like you're in a place where it's like, I I can't see it. I can't see how the parts fit together. Jesus wants to bring you to a place of a holistic perspective about how he works his kingdom through our relationships, through his purposes in the world. Isn't that right, Travis? If you've lived in a place where you're thinking... This is what I can do. I want to call you out and say, 
Ask Jesus what needs to be done. Not just what you can do. It's something so much bigger than you are right now. And He sees you as so much bigger. He sees you as so much bigger. He sees mothers and fathers. He sees the depth of your character. He knows you from the inside out. And He's calling you to die. To crush that small image. To lay it aside. All of your fears and insecurities are saying, it all depends on what I can do with my hand. How I can meet my own needs. And he's saying, come and get a part of who I am and what I can do. So we're starting today. We're going to worship. And we're asking the Lord to speak. If you want to come forward and be ministered to, if you want to pray with someone who's next to you, you can do that. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here today. And all of our friends, I I ask for a week of consecration, a day of consecration. Open up a new door in heaven over our lives, Lord Jesus. I know how you bring many people through things together. As you've opened up a new door over our family, I ask you to open up a new door over this community. Holy Spirit, bring us into this next place. We say yes to you. If you feel called to a place of consecration, you want to kind of bow your knee here, I say come. Come now. Come. Come, invite, respond to Jesus in any way that you can open a door, that you can turn a knob, that you can release a new place in your life. I want the next thing. I want a fresher release. I want Him to expand His vision and purposes in my life.